I want to share with you from the gospel as recorded by Matthew, the ninth chapter, and the 35th verse. If you have it, say amen. If you don't, say wait a minute. That's a black joke. Y'all gotta, come on, y'all. Y'all loosen up a little bit. We're going to make this easy, all right? Y'all making it hard on me, all right? I ain't going to be long, I promise you. If you don't get on at the beginning, you're going to think I got out too quick. All right? Share with me in the message. And Jesus went about all the cities and synagogues, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The word of God for the people of God and the people said, Amen. Pray with me. Most gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach your gospel. We thank you for this collective group here, God, that's assembled. God, help us to not act as if we're in a theater, but help us to participate in worship this morning. We know that your spirit is present because you promised we two or more would gather in your name, that you would be in our midst. I thank you in advance for what happens when I yield myself to you. Transform me from William Bowie to your preacher. God, I need your spirit, though, in double portion this morning. Bless those who await your divine proclamation. Turn off spirits of transition and open up reception that your spirit might speak in this place. We thank you and we honor you and we adore you. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It, it doesn't have to be as obvious as it is, but every time for the last 25 years that I stand up to preach, I get nervous. Even at home. Amen. And if y'all don't say that, y'all going to make me more nervous. All right, so don't do that, don't do that. I want to talk briefly about uh, Jesus has a problem. I got some of my members here, some of my disciples here. Good to have y'all, it's always good to, hey, mom, good to see you. Good to have you, good to have you. Listen, churches are God's appointed agencies for the salvation of men and women. The mission of the Christian church is therefore to a world that's enriched, engulfed, and engaged in wickedness. In order to accomplish this mission, the church must maintain the faith and discipline, which are the order and ordinances of the gospel. Are y'all with me? As a body, the church is to make its presence felt both far and near. Therefore, each member should strive to be and do what it is the entire church is called to be and do. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew makes it really plain that the, and suggests that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. And Matthew said it's, it cannot be hid. Therefore, it is the responsibility of each of us to aid in spreading the gospel once the message is in us. The gospel is an important message, and, and it's not just for a particular group. The gospel is intended for all peoples. 
This is my understanding of what Christ's primary purpose was when he came to earth. In his manifesto, he stated that the spirit of the Lord was upon me, for he has anointed me to set at liberty the captive, recovering sight of the blind. In other words, he came with a mission to do something. He just didn't come to sit still, but he came to work. And we as Christians have the medium because Christianity is the most emphatic missionary force in the world. Therefore, every church is a divinely appointed missionary society. No church can hope to prosper at home unless the message is shared abroad. You can't grow just by talking to each other, but we grow by talking to each other about what we do at First Baptist and First Calvary. Amen? So before we begin to look at the text, let's dissect Or let's set the text context so you can understand that Jesus really has a problem. We see Jesus has arrived in Capernaum, and a series of events occur. First, he heals a paralytic. Then he calls Matthew from his present post as tax collector. Then his integrity is put into question by the Pharisees who questions why he eats with sinners. Then a girl is restored to life, and a woman is healed. And the problems don't stop there. Jesus heals two blind men. Then Jesus heals one who's a a mute. And after all this work, Jesus recognized that he could use a little help. And this brings us to where he deals directly with his disciples. The Bible says that then Jesus said to his disciples, if this message was intended for the disciples in 70 AD, it's clear that the message is applicable to us today. It's so important that we understand Jesus never established the church so that we could symbol and use it for a means of networking, being with our friends, or just a place where we fix up that block of time in our lives that we used to getting out the house on Sunday morning. But he called us to be disciples, and this message was not intended for the private use of that audience. If it were not beneficial for 2017, I don't believe that it would have been canonized. So now we begin to understand that a disciple is an essential element of what this work is all about. Let me start by saying that all members of the church are not disciples. And all people that go to church don't respond like Christians. Are y'all with me? Church members and, and disciples are two totally different things. You can be a membership of a social club and just have your name on the roll and pay your dues and expect the same benefits as somebody who's an operating, functioning, working member. Are y'all with me? Y'all get with me now. Everyone understands that, that, that there's different, and the response of a disciple is that he has particular peculiarities about him or herself. A disciple is not in judgment of others, but is always willing to be in service for those in need. A disciple is a willing worker and every day shares themselves continuously to make an attempt to be more like Jesus. A disciple is a follower of the one chosen as their teacher, and a disciple is a learner and a listener of God's word. It's one thing to be listening, but it's another thing to hear the word of God. All of y'all listening, y'all look attentive. But you know what my mother used to, I could be looking my mother right in the eye. She said, I know you're listening to me, but boy, do you hear me? 
Are you with me? Because you do something different with what you hear and the stuff you're listening. Because then she would say, you're looking at me like it's going in one ear and out the other. See, when you're just a, 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 a member of the church, what happens here on Sunday morning, which is the most important part, you, it goes in one ear and out the other because you've already done your part. It's like the it's service between Sundays thing. If you don't listen, you won't learn. If you don't listen, you can't grow. And if you don't listen, you really won't know. And most importantly, a disciple is one who can be identified with the master's message. Are y'all with me? The, the, the message is a message of hope housed in love. And just as we know that scripture teaches that a servant is not above their master. So as we continue to look at the text, then the Bible says that the, the harvest is plenteous. And we know that nature is teleos. I mean, nature does what God tells it to do. Nature responds as God tells it to respond. Nature is consistent. It's coherent. It's connected. And whatever God tells nature to do, it does. Last week, it was hot. Are y'all with me? God, God's ordered that weather. And yesterday, the clouds opened up, and we needed that too. So God, nature does what it does, but so we know that he's not talking about nature, but Jesus is simply making a plea here for laborers, laborers to, to harvest the outcasts, laborers to, to harvest the lost, laborers to harvest the addicts and, and those, you know, people who are less fortunate than you. I tell you this morning, my brothers and sisters, who's, off, who's good enough to tell me that Jesus really don't have a problem? I tell you this morning, it's important, and to add to my claim, Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, the problems, the situations, the circumstances, but the laborers are few. In other words, we, we are not, or we are in a terrible situation, and, and there's not enough workers, there's not a pe enough people committed to delivering God's word as they receive it. There's not enough people in the church that understand what the church is really all about. There's not enough people that's willing to do what God has saved them to do. So we need to use as an example the farmer. Or, or I guess sometimes we're afraid to get our sanctified hands dirty. We really don't want to get in the mud of what this is really all about. You know, because the farmer has some work. You know, I'm a city boy, and, you know, I don't like to get in the dirt myself. You know, but a farmer, before he even plants the seed, he tills the ground. He makes sure it's soft. And after he tills the ground, he plants the seed, and he waits for God to water it or whatever he's going to do. And then God gives the increase. He goes out and he plucks it up. Good horticultural language. So a disciple then has responsibility to Jesus Christ. A songwriter put it like this. A charge to keep we have and a God to glorify. He gave his son our souls to save and fit it for the sky. To serve this present age, our calling to fulfill. May we with all our powers engage to do our master's will. Everybody want to see him, right? Because then after that says, I want to look upon his face. But there's some work that needs to be done down here before we can go up there to serve this present age. We live in a time where if it ain't one thing, it's another. If it ain't wife abuse, it's child abuse. If it ain't nicotine, it's morphine. <laughs> Y'all, if, if it ain't one thing, it's another. If it ain't homicide, it's suicide. We are saved, y'all, to do the work and will of God, not to get saved and be satisfied as we tra travel on this journey. 
Salvation is a gift from God, but it most must be opened up. You know, and the only way to open it up is to share what the Lord has done for you. That's why the text says the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Jesus had disciples with him, and them boys, wasn't, they wasn't about getting their hands too dirty. Y'all know I'm right about it. They, they want to see what Jesus was up to. If folk come to the church like that with the preacher, they want to see what we up to. That's why I told you I'm checking y'all out too. Once you open the gift of salvation, you'll find out that, you know, you got to tell somebody. Remember when you first got saved and you were excited? You know, you were exuberant. You just had to tell somebody. You couldn't keep it to yourself what the Lord has done for you. Well, the same enthusiasm goes on consistently once you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You just got to tell somebody because this gift that's inside you won't let you hold your peace. One thing we can be assured of about Jesus is that Jesus never leaves us in a curious state of consciousness. He never leaves us without an answer to any problem. And no matter what the problem is, we need to understand as sure as there's God, there's hope. Yeah, it's, a, it's dark around the world. Yeah, yeah, hope is being lost in many places. Yeah, people are struggling and going on. But I want to tell you, as sure as there's God, there's hope. Sure as there's God, there's hope. Jesus tells his disciples in the final analysis, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers for his harvest. Adjective introducing the pronoun or the noun subject, people. Pray that the Lord would send forth laborers. Pray that God would send forth credible and accountable and productive and mature Christian folk. You know, because you've been in the church all your life, don't make you a mature Christian. Because you've been saved all your life, you know, because you never, you know, you never have a prison record or you never spent a night of jail a day in your life. Or, you, you, you know, you might have had a traffic ticket or ran a few yellow lights. But, but since your life been very free, you know, you still were lost in sin. See, and that's what we have to realize. We need mature and productive and accountable and trustworthy, responsible people to pray for. You know, you got to be careful what you ask for. The key to any problem that you have is prayer. Prayer is our open communication with God. Prayer is where we ask God. Prayer is where we beseech God. Prayer is where we petition God or request of God. Or prayer is where we invoke God. Prayer is where we invite God's presence into our circumstance and our situation. Prayer is where we let God know that we don't have it all together. The more I talk to God, the, the, the more he does for me. It's just like any child. The more your children talk to you, the more you respond to him. So to pray is to employ the power of God in any circumstances. I've always have heard, and, and this is a bad expression. We have so many up, down, theological, upside down theological expressions. Uh, prayer changes things. That's not true. Things would be all right if people left them alone. Prayer changes people, and people change things. God, everything God made, when he finished with it, he stepped back and said, what? Now, now that's good. But when people got their hands involved, it started messing up. Since Adam and Eve, the imputation of sin has caused a, cast a bad spot over us. Are y'all with me? Are y'all with me? And I've heard that untrue. Prayer changes people, and people change things. Three things that are important about prayer, and I'm going to take my seat. First of all, 
It takes compassion to pray. The Bible says Jesus looked on them with compassion because they were scattered abroad as sheep that had no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, see, uh, it's how we look on people that will determine whether we get in the game with them. You know, it's easy to talk about the game from the sideline. How many Monday morning quarterbacks we got here? Everybody know what the quarterback should have did Monday morning, but it takes compassion, and compassion is showing mercy, and compassion is identifying a need, but not just identifying, assisting in the process of bringing the person out. Compassion is when I look at how far God has brought me and, and realize if it not be for the grace of God, if it not be for God's mercy, I wouldn't be living in God's grace. See, y'all, I'm sure that all of us can agree that, that the person you are today, you haven't always been that person. And do you know that while we were messing up, while we were caught in our sins, somebody was praying for us? That while I was in my mess, that somebody else was on their knees petitioning God for my help. Because they realized that without God, I wouldn't make it in this world. A songwriter said that, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Since Jesus has come into my heart. You know, a man made a confession to me this morning. It was very interesting. He said, I'm 83 years old right here. He said, and I know about Jesus, but I really don't know him for myself. He said, I've taught Sunday school. I've been in the church all my life. I've looked like a principal liver. But the message that you preached this morning challenged me to understand that maybe I don't know who God really is in the form of Jesus Christ. And everybody out here said they know Jesus. We look like it. But when you know Jesus, you act with compassion as he did. When you know Jesus, you live as he did. When you know Jesus, you want the best for somebody else. When you know Jesus, you just don't want it all for yourself. But you want to take what you have and share it. Oh, to be like Jesus. See, compassion is, is very important. It's something that we, we've alluded. But secondly, prayer is your beginning steps to freedom. Prayer lets God know that I know that he's able. Prayer is man's extremities are God's opportunity. You know, everything I let go got on claw marks. Everything, God has to wrestle some things out of my hand. Everything I let go of got, got claw marks on it. But when I pray to God, I begin to release some things and I begin to get free. Y'all, freedom ain't free. It, it, it costs a price. What better hands to place your circumstances, your situations in other than the hands of God. You know, it's interesting. If, if my car gets sick, I take it to a mechanic, right? If my animal gets sick, I take it to a veterinarian because they specialize in those two objects. But if our lives get sick, do we really take it to the Lord in prayer? Or do we tell our brother and our sister? Or do we turn it over to Jesus because the songwriter said he can work it out. Not only can he work it out, but he will work it out. He specializes in the impossible. And lastly, we know that our present situation in the world is dim. Yes, even we know that times are, are rough all around us. Parents killing children, children killing parents, people killing each other, drug raid on the raise, new dope on the street that costs cheaper, that kills faster. Y'all, it's just so much going on. But prayer will help us become accountable. Prayer will help us become accessible. If everybody who knew Jesus 
did what he required, our world wouldn't be in the condition that it's in. Everybody was praying, if everybody was obeying, if, if everybody was keeping, you know, the precepts and the principles of the gospel, we would be credible messengers for Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, I thank God for the compassion of people in my life. I, I don't know about you, but I haven't always been saved, but, but my mother, she prayed for me. My father, he prayed for me. My pastor prayed. My church was praying. I don't care what the condition I was in. Somebody was praying for me. I haven't always looked like this, felt like this, talked like this, walked like this, and somebody was praying for me. Neither have you always looked like that, act like that, walk like that, talk like that, and somebody was praying for you. Now you have the responsibility to pray for somebody else. You know, there's a song, an old song, but, but a good song. Somebody prayed for me had me on their mind, took some time to pray for me. Then the song goes on to a retort. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. Y'all, church, Jesus has a problem, and part of it is the church. The church is not accountable. We're not being responsible. And I'm not talking about First Baptist Church because y'all are good people. Y'all do everything. Y'all praying people. But I am talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the church universal. It's, a, it's all kinds of churches in Rock Hill, but it's too much suffering. It's all kinds of churches in Rock Hill, but there ain't enough collective bargaining between the churches. If we just got together and prayed, what would, what would happen in Rock Hill? If we just got together without respect to denomination or color or uh, economic status or gender specifics or, and all the stuff that we use to keep us away from others, what would happen to Rock Hill? If we just got together and really did what the master told us to do, I'm finished. I'm finished, but would you pray with me? Most gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for who you are and how you are. We thank you for your grace so sufficient and your mercy ever so kind. We thank you that you didn't judge us according to how, how we've behaved. We thank you for the principles of your word which lead us into everlasting hope. Thank you, God, for churches throughout the nation and and people who are willing to submit and subject themselves to the cost you've paid. God, any religion that's not worth working for is not worth having. Help us to understand that we're saved from ourselves, but for your benefit. Continue to bless the, the relationship or the synergy between First Calvary and, and First Baptist. Strengthen Steve as he gets some rest. Bless those who he's left in charge and, and strengthen them. God, allow us to continue to place our hope in you because we know, God, that with you all things are possible. We pray for each person present. We don't know their situation or circumstances, but we know you do. God, you know all things. We pray, God, that those things that we wrestle with, let us release them to you. Since we can't do nothing about it, let us see what you can do. Continue to bless the leaders of our nation, our president, the leaders of our country, the leaders of our state and our city. God, continue to protect and provide in Rock Hill as you are. Continue to build and bind us together that we could be a strong community without respect to anything, God, that would keep us from being what you've called us to be. We love you today, God. We thank you so much and we honor you. Bless us now, God, as we depart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.